I have some competition today. In week one of our summer theme, as we introduce the Apostles' Creed, this communal grassroots statement of belief that by the second century was widely used and lifted up in Christian communities. We discovered that it was initially used in baptismal events, which is quite fascinating. That's how the creed was originally used, was put together, and then people who would be going down into the waters of baptism to share their story of trust in Jesus would recite the creed. And before others, they would say, I believe these things to be true. I believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and all of the other aspects of the creed. And they would affirm those things to be true, and then they would go down into the waters of baptism. We have been walking through the creed over our summer Sundays here, and we are looking at these different statements and trying to unpack them so that we can mimic what those early followers of Jesus would do in affirming some things to be true. So we are walking through this to say, yes, we believe in these things as well. It's also helping us live deeply and joyfully within God's story because as we affirm these truths, we stand on the shoulders of faithful people who have gone before us and have said and affirmed the same things. We now stand with them in saying, we also believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and all of the other parts of the creed. I hope this has been very beneficial to you. Here's the Apostles' Creed. Here's what we've covered so far. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And that's what we talked about last week. And we ended there. Today we pick up with the next phrase in the creed, which is, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Now, we want to spend time on this phrase because it has caused a tremendous amount of confusion through the years. It has also caused some to throw out the entire Apostles' Creed as not worthy or something we shouldn't say or affirm because of this particular word, Catholic. And for those who aren't Catholic in their faith, they just kind of dismiss this. So, what does this phrase mean? Why is this phrase in the Creed? And is this phrase something that Christians still believe today? I want to take those three questions and use that as our walking path for today. 
What does this phrase mean? When you look at it, what does it actually mean? And why is this phrase in the creed? And is this phrase something that Christians still affirm and believe today? Before we get into these questions, please join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's look to scripture first, and then we'll go back and walk through the questions. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is the Apostle Paul's classic description of how the church is one body, but it is made up of many parts. So the body of Christ, it's one body, but multiple pieces, and that is laced all throughout 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we find such things as the foot cannot say, well, because I'm not a hand, I'm out and I'm not part of the body. Foot cannot say that. And the ear cannot say, well, I'm not an eye. And the eye is really fascinating and does some marvelous things. I'm not quite that marvelous. I'm just an ear, so I don't want to be part of the body. The point Paul is making is that our bodies have many parts, one body, yet there are many parts, and God has placed each part exactly where he wants it. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. Before verse 18, Paul says in verses 12 and 13 this, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. And in the middle of this one body, many parts talk, the Apostle Paul lifts up the truth that in Christ we are one body. And when we trust in Jesus alone to rescue us, we are placed into the body of Christ, this one body. That's how it happens. The trigger to being in this one body with many parts is belief in Jesus. And verse 13 some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. What we find here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is Paul's point is that the church, or how we think of ourselves, is big and expansive, and extends across racial and social lines in a universal way. That's the church. Many parts, yet one body, and it's big and expansive. And whenever someone trusts in Jesus, they're placed into the body, this big, expansive body. Scholar Tony Evans describes it this way. The Spirit transforms all believers for a new way of life that is to be done together. They are baptized into one body, the body of Christ, the family of God. And that's what Paul is stressing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He's also noting the same thing in his letter to the churches in Galatia. So turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. If you turn to the right in your Bible, 
you will find the book of 2 Corinthians. After that is the book of Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Here's the Apostle Paul writing, and he says, For you are all children of God through faith. Do you see that word faith there? Nod your head so I know you're still with me. Yeah, you are all children of God through faith. In the construction of the sentence, that word faith is what can be believed or what we trust. So the question is, what are we supposed to believe or where do we place our trust? Well, it says right here, you are all children of God through what can be believed or through your trust in, say the next two words with me, Christ Jesus. That's a very significant statement. You are children of God through trust in Christ Jesus. This statement is a reminder that we enter God's family through faith, through what can be believed about the person of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. Verse 27. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. So to put on Christ means we are putting on his character or his clothes. Verse 28 says, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Now, there is something Paul is not saying in this text. And then there is something very clearly that he is saying. Let's think about what he is not saying. Paul is not saying that all distinctions between people disappear once we trust in Christ. That's not the case, and we know that to be true. So Paul isn't saying that. What he is saying is that within the body of Christ, all have the same relationship with God. And this is universally true for everyone who trusts in Jesus. They have that relationship with God. So while we might be different parts, we are still one body simply because of our faith in Jesus. This is universally true for all who believe. What's interesting about Galatians chapter 3 and the way Paul describes this is that Christianity and how believers in Jesus should function, emphasis on should, is that this kind of thinking, what Paul is saying here, neither Greek nor Jew, we're all one in Christ, this kind of thinking is what made early Christianity decidedly different in their cultural context. Because nobody else was saying that. And nobody else was doing that. They were all about dividing and separating in all kinds of ways. It was the Christians, it was the early church that came along and said, no, we are one in the body of Christ. So this would have been decidedly different language and activity in the Greco-Roman world. 
Scholar Craig Keener said, but the early Christians were especially distinctive in surmounting or overcoming such divisions. They formed the only bridge between Jews and Gentiles and had few allies in challenging class, slave versus free, and gender prejudices. That's early Christianity and how it functioned from the very start challenging all of these divisions because once a person trusts in Christ, they are one in his body. So think about this. When we believe in Jesus, we are placed into this big universal church that would affirm we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and all of these other aspects of the creed, and our voices join with others universally in affirming these things to be true. That's pretty much the heart of this statement in the Apostles' Creed, I believe, in the Holy Catholic Church. It's about one body, many parts. It's the word Catholic that causes some tension. So let's lean into that. And to do that, let's go back to the questions. The first question is, what does this phrase mean? I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. This word Catholic, what does it actually mean? Well, the word Catholic means universal and is a way to refer to the whole church of Jesus Christ. As used in the Apostles' Creed, and here's the whole summary, like this is the whole talk right here. As used in the Apostles' Creed, the word Catholic is an adjective not a proper noun. It's an adjective describing how the church should be and how it should act. One body, it's universal, it's big, and it's expansive, and it tears down divisions and welcomes all. So this word, as used in the creed, is an adjective describing how we should be acting as the church It is not a proper noun. That is the summary I could pray and we could dismiss right now. But I have much more to say. So a couple of scholars describe it this way. Catholic, this word, is a term literally meaning universal or worldwide. The word is most often associated with Roman Catholicism, but originally became standardized in Christian theology through the formula appearing in early Christian creeds that affirms belief in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. There are some different creeds that use that term, the holy apostolic church. To affirm the church's Catholicity is to suggest that the church is universal in scope. In other words, the church is not restricted to any one ethnic group or geographical location, but is open to Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female. That's what we read in Galatians chapter 3, verse 38, with its gospel message being directed to all nations. The word Catholic derives from two Greek words, the word kata and the word holos, which together mean according to the whole or universal. We actually see these two words used together, kata and holos, 
in Acts chapter 9. So please turn there with me. Acts chapter 9, verse 31 says, The church then had peace, will you say this next word with me? Throughout. Throughout, that's the combination of kata and holos, or the whole, or universal. So the church had peace universally, holy, throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord, and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. So the word throughout, as used in Acts chapter 9, is the combination of kata and holos and describes the whole church, the universal church. So what does this phrase mean as used in the Apostles' Creed? It's an adjective, not a proper noun. And it describes the whole, big, expansive, universal church. So to say, I believe in the holy universal church is a good thing based on what we see in Scripture. Second question, why is this phrase used in the creed? Seems like it would have been easier to skip that or leave it out. So why is this phrase in the creed? There are three reasons. Number one, it unites us. The language of it actually helps us to know we're not just one church, but we are a universal church of people who have believed in the work of Jesus Christ. It unites us. Going back to Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All of the divisions are gone. Yes, many parts, but one body the creed, and this specific statement, it unites us. Number two, it gives us confidence that we don't stand alone in our faith. And this is what I find to be very interesting about this particular phrase. I, we, have brothers and sisters in the faith who have gone before us who did their very best to live out the story of Jesus. And certainly everyone did that in imperfect ways, but they set that example of faith for us. And so we can look to them. We can look to those examples in Scripture, and we can look to examples on the other side of the completed Word of God and people that we know who have gone before us and have lived and have died, and they were faithful to the cause of Jesus. And it helps us to know that we're not alone in living the story of Jesus, because we have brothers and sisters who have gone before us. I think this also helps us to know that we have brothers and sisters right now living, sitting in this room, watching online, those who were in the first hour, those who are on vacation, enjoying rest and relaxation, and people we know who live in other parts of this state and this country and the world who have believed in Jesus, and they are there to encourage and challenge and support us in every single way. They are part of the body of Christ, the worldwide church, and no believer stands alone. So it's not just about us here in this room. It's about all 
who have claimed the name of Jesus and have trusted in him. So this part of the Apostles' Creed is a reminder that we don't stand alone in our faith. We have brothers and sisters, those who have gone before and those who are with us right now together. Number three, this phrase is a reminder that the church includes every kind of person. And I can't stress this enough. In early Christianity, this is something that made them as followers of Jesus and as the early church decidedly different from their cultural context, the Greco-Roman world, where they were all about divisions and all about separating. And as they peered in on these Christians, these people trying to live like Jesus and saw their gatherings and saw their meetings, they would have noticed that there were all kinds of different people and they probably didn't belong together, but there they were worshiping this Jesus that would have stood out as incredibly different. We've already touched on this, but in the Greco-Roman world, the people were generally divided into nice little boxes of social class and ethnicity. And you were required to stay in those boxes. That's just the way it was. You didn't change that. You didn't alter that. But the church did. So while the Greco-Roman world was putting everybody into all of these different divisions, not so with Christians. Not so with believers in Jesus. They got, this is universal. Many parts, yet one body. And they accelerated into that in a beautiful way. Author Joshua Chatra describes how even today, so we think about this a long time ago as Paul is writing this and as the creed, the Apostles' Creed was put together, that's a long time ago, but Joshua Chatra talks about how even today Christianity is proving to be remarkably inclusive with explosive growth in East Asia and Africa. That is currently happening right now. And if you've read anything about the growth of Christianity in, the, in these regions, you know that to be true. It's just exploding. Joshua Chatra says Christianity's geographical center has quite remarkably migrated throughout its history. This migration further testifies to Christianity's unique transcultural message. For these reasons, it isn't hyperbole to describe Christianity as the most culturally, racially, ethnically, and socioeconomically diverse worldview in history. This is a beautiful part of what it means to be a Christian. So if you've ever wondered, what, what does it actually mean? How do you define this? How do you describe it? Well, it looks like this. No divisions. Multiple parts, but we are one in the person of Christ when we believe in him. So this statement unifies, brings us together. It gives us confidence that we're not alone in our faith. And it is a reminder that the church includes every kind of person. Final question. Is this phrase something that Christians still believe today? And the answer to that is yes. 
Christians still believe this to be true, even though our language has changed a bit. And while we might not use this word, the church is still big and expansive and universal. We believe that the church is holy. It is set apart to help people follow the narrow path to the cross of Jesus and trust in him. We believe that the church is universal. And as we gather right now and pray and sing and open the word of God and look at passages such as 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Galatians chapter 3, and Acts chapter 9, as we do that and invite the word of God to shape and form us, that millions of people, even at this very hour, are doing the same thing because the church is universal. And yes, we believe that the church, with all of its imperfections and shortcomings and failures, that it is still called out and it is the hope of the world because we belong to God. And we are even described as the bride of Christ. And it all comes with the promise from Jesus who said, I will build my church. Jesus said that. So these are the words of Jesus. I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. This we believe and we affirm it and say amen. Okay, I have three takeaways for us. Number one, as we think about this particular phrase, again, it's caused some confusion over the years, but it has a simple meaning of the vast, expansive, universal, worldwide church. Number one, review the scripture passages used and reflect on your life. So I'd encourage you to go back. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Read the whole chapter. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Read the whole chapter. Find out what comes before what we read and what comes after. Read Acts chapter 9. And reflect on these things. And then ask the question, does my life mirror a universal church? A worldwide expansive church? Or am I just kind of zeroed in on what I'm doing and what I need and what I want? And there's a place and a time for that. But the Apostles' Creed calls us to look up and to look out and see what God is doing with his church everywhere. So does my life mirror a universal church that doesn't divide and separate and categorize or not? Takeaway number two, while Christians are part of the universal church, we also connect best with a local church like Valley Point Church. So what step can you take this week to connect in a deeper way? So we're called to look up and to look out because the church is universal, it's big and expansive, but we best connect in a local context like what we're doing here. And I believe that God is at work here at Valley Point Church as we are seeking to point people to real relationships with God and with others and to take the one life that we have and do something significant with it in our communities where we live, work, and play, that it is sacred what we do 
in this house and outside of this house. And God is calling us up into being a bright light. And so how can we connect in a deeper way in the weeks to come with our local community of faith? I want to suggest three steps you may be able to take to do that. Here we go. Step number one, consider summer sessions with the pastors. We have one coming soon, and what we're talking about in these sessions is how you can be on mission where you live, work, and play. Interestingly enough, we tend to bifurcate those things from our spiritual life. We separate that. Like there's the Sunday part of my life that is holy and sacred and really special, and then there's Monday through Friday, what I do for work and I don't know if God really cares about that. God deeply cares about your work. God deeply cares about your school. God deeply cares about your hobbies. God deeply cares about where you live. And all of that is sacred as well as what we are doing right now. So in the pastor sessions, we're talking about how we can be on mission and have everything we do in life be something that honors God and is sacred and honoring to him, loving him, and also loving our neighbors. So this is one way you can connect in a deeper way. Come to the pastor's sessions. Here's a second way. On Wednesday, a group of women will meet right here in this building, and they're walking through a book discussion. So if you're a guy, you can't come to this. So I guess for the men, there's really only two ways to go a little bit deeper. Ladies, you get all three of these. But ladies, on Wednesday, there's a group that will meet and they're walking through a book about boundaries. And what does that mean in life? How can you love your neighbor in a way that honors God, but yet also be wise with the relationships that we have? They already met once and some really special things happened during that meeting where people found good answers and solutions and this is a way for you to go a little bit deeper with your community of faith. That happens on Wednesday. And then on Tuesday, August the 22nd, we have another night of prayer. And I would encourage you to come. We enter into this room and even if you don't consider yourself to be a praying person, just give it a shot. You have nothing to lose. Nothing to lose by coming into an environment where we slow the pace and we just start talking to God. And it's private. You don't have to do something you don't want to do. But I'd encourage you to give it a shot. Allow the faith of the room. Allow the spirit of the room. Allow the prayers of the room that are being placed at the throne room of God to carry you through during that one hour I think you'll be encouraged and you'll walk away refreshed and it is a way that you can go a little bit deeper and connect with your local community of faith here at Valley Point. I would encourage you to consider these things and look at anything else and say, here's how I can do that. The church is global, it's universal, it's really big, but we connect best at a local level. One more takeaway. Return next Sunday, okay? I want you to do that because we're going to look at the next line in the creed and you will be encouraged with what you hear. And I want us to be part of walking through this so that we can put the whole creed together at some point and maybe even memorize it and say, you know what? 
We stand with our brothers and sisters in the past who, as they walked into the waters of baptism, said, you know, I want everyone here to know I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the holy, universal, Catholic, kata, holos, together, whole church. I believe in that. And I connect at a local level and the other parts of the creed. And I believe God is going to use this in us so that we walk out of our time together living deeply because we understand what we believe. What do I believe? I believe this. We'll know what we believe, and so we can go deeper that way, but we can also live joyfully. Like, here's what God has freed me to do and to be within his amazing story. May God help us to do that. Father, we're so thankful for today and for the time that we've had just to look at these different things, to consider this phrase in the creed that is often very confusing and it causes some to just dismiss it and throw it out, but I don't feel we have to do that because the intent here is to help us look up and see that we're not alone that when a person comes to Jesus, no matter who they are, no matter where they live, no matter the circumstances around them, they are now one with us in the body of Christ. And we all have a role to play. We all have a task that you want us to do to further your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So God, help us to take these passages, 1 Corinthians 12, Galatians 3, and Acts chapter 9. Help us to go back and review and also ask the question, does my life, does my life as a follower of Jesus mirror the universal church or not? and then help us to make adjustments, to confess, and to live the way of Jesus. Knowing that it will make a significant difference where we live, work, and play. So God, help us to do this. I'd like for you just to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. What has God whispered to you as we've been thinking through this? What's he impressing upon your heart right now? Just talk to him about that and agree, say amen or confess if that's necessary or question. Just give that all to God right now and ask him to help you mirror the universal church. Maybe though you've never trusted in Jesus alone to rescue you and the thought of being placed into this one body that is supposed to reflect what God wants in the world and 
Certainly Christianity has been imperfect about that, but that's the ideal. It's what God has called us to. It's what he wants for us. And that sounds great to you to be part of this big, expansive, universal family seeking to love God and love neighbor, but you've never trusted in Jesus and it's making sense to you, then I would just encourage you from your heart to the ears of God, tell him right now that you're trusting in his beloved son, that you believe. So 1 Corinthians 12 tells us, if you believe in Christ, you're in the body, you are one with him. Just tell God that you're believing in Jesus alone. You're trusting in him to rescue you. Thank him for his forgiveness and leadership. Invite him into your life. Father, all of these prayers being lifted up to you, We thank you for who you are, for being our God. And we're also thankful for these ancient words from the Apostles' Creed that from the second century have been accepted by the Christian community as this is what we believe and we affirm these things to be true. God, while the language has changed a little bit, we still affirm these things to be true and good and a way for us to be a witness in the world and to live in our cultural moment. So help us to do that. And whatever you've been impressing upon our hearts, whatever you're asking of us, help us to be willing to say yes to you in every way as we depart in just a moment. We pray this all now. In the name of Jesus, the one who came and lived and died and rose again for us, we pray in his name. Amen.